0: This uh, morning, just like you uh, woke up to a beautiful day, and um, so I went to the garden and I have my cup of coffee, <laughs> did a bit of a reading, and I suddenly I said, okay, well, I have to come down to the temple. And uh, somehow uh, I was saying, oh, I still have time. I still have time. And then certainly, saying that, I remind myself that at least the two or third time when I came here, I came and sit while everybody was already sitting. And I thought to myself, what's going on? <laughs> I said, you know, somehow, I had created a pattern in which it was okay. And um, I came on time, but somehow I had to, to change, you know, and do a bit of stretching and everything else, so I ended up always coming back, coming here when everybody was sitting. And so, you know, creating maybe a bit of a disturbance, you know. I mean, a big guys like me working the this, <laughs> this space somehow. You know, I'm not a little mouse. <laughs> So I say, oh, and I kind of recognize how us as human beings we are so good at creating patterns in which certainly those patterns, as much as we create them, and it's okay, certainly the world we're living in is made out of our own pattern. We look at the world as those patterns, you know, patterns that sometimes accommodate us. You know. So... <clears throat> and. Uh, <clears throat> in which, like when I come to the temple uh, 10 o'clock, you know, I'm trained to recognize that 10 o'clock is a schedule. And the schedule, and in the schedule, uh, there is great teaching. Uh, I heard my teacher once when we were traveling in South Korea, I was, I was walking behind him and he just laid out this phrase and he said, the schedule is the Dharma. So I kept uh, cultivate this question, <laughs> what is the, the Dharma of the schedule? You know? And uh, The one we show up despite whatever happened, despite whatever mood we are despite whatever level of resistance we may be. And what are the teachings? You know, in it. In the context of the temple, this is when you come to the temple for training, uh, you're surrendered, you develop an eye in which you can see uh, teaching everywhere. You know. Anyway, so <coughs> I said, "Well, let's go, you know And <laughs> half of this. So I got on my bicycle. And uh, like every time I come to the temple, I have to go to that hill, you know. <laughs> I've talked to you many times about that hill. Every time I seem to have something going on there. Anyway, so a beautiful day, I got on my bicycle, and off I go, you know, pum, 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 pum. and I know that my bicycle has a right speed, so, you know, I'm on the hill, I can put them on a the low speed that just go. But that low speed was not working, <laughs> so I had to push. Push and it was hard, you know. And so, and then, you know, halfway through, BANG! The, the shame, you know, just got off, you know, like a, the axes. You know, so suddenly I, I had to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be on time. <laughs> There's an Indian saying which says, uh, if you can't laugh about your fate, that then you just end getting the joke. <laughs> 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 well, I was getting the joke there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> patterns that we create, something to kind of uh, you know, keep in mind. And uh, oh, I need glasses for that. Yeah. That's a pattern I could have resist. Putting glass on. Anyway, good morning. morning. I'm reading from uh, the Tao Te Ching, writing about uh, number 67. Some say that my teaching is nonsense. Others call it lofty, but uh, lofty, sorry, lofty, but impractical. But to choose, I'm sorry, but to those who have looked inside themselves, this nonsense makes perfect sense. And to those who put it into practice, this loftiness as a root that goes deep. I have just three things to teach. Simplicity, patience, compassion. Those three are your greatest treasure, simple in action and in thoughts. You return to the source of being. Patient with both friends and enemy, you accord with the way things are. Compassionate towards yourself, you reconcile all beings in the world. Simplicity, patience, and compassion. Before I lived in the house where, where I'm living right now, uh, my partner and I were living uh, in an industrial area uh, north of St. Clair. Uh, We had a large space. We needed it in order to do our own artwork, and also it was quite a a nice place to have. So when we would come from work at uh, uh, the daytime, it was nobody was around. And on the weekend also nobody was around. But after a few years this place started to be developed. So we actually started to look for a house. And after many effort, we found one not too far from here on the Christie and DuPont on a really beautiful little street called Melville. And uh, when we arrived in that little street suddenly our lifestyle totally changed because where we used to live really we only see anybody, we didn't have really any neighbor other than just a few coyotes and foxes, you know, and seagulls. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Suddenly we got into this uh, uh, street and we discovered the neighborhood. The neighborhood at that time was made of like uh, uh, still the older owners um, of houses, mainly coming from Italy or Portugal. And it was a mix. You know? That was before all the young artists kind of moved in. And uh, I got to know them very well, each one. And we all got to know each other by our our own name. And you know, everybody is very curious by nature in the neighborhood, they always want to see what you're doing, how you're doing, uh, and all that. And so, uh, which somehow uh, created this kind of a morning ritual, especially in the summer, you know, uh, all the older people, they would be on their balcony, you know, like warming up their old bones, you know. And uh, <clears throat> there will be, I will have people on the left, on the right, and I will be on my bicycle. and I feel like a little bit like the Pope, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all the way down to, from one end of the street to the other. <laughs> hey, Tony! <laughs> hey, Silado! <hey. laughs> you know, <laughs> hey. <Capitanes>. Hey, hey. <laughs> Somehow I, made friends, I managed to make that believe that I could speak both <laughs> Italian and Portuguese <laughs> with only two words. <laughs> but that made me part of the family somehow. <laughs> anyway, but you know, as uh, the time went on, we I uh, kind of started to realize that somehow, as much you know, in Mister the beautiful place, I could see that there was really two clans, you know. They would just really talk to each other. Italians would talk to each other. The Portuguese would talk to each other. You know, somehow. And uh, and there was and it's something that went on for many years. So I, I could see that pattern going on. You know, and I was a little kind of a in a way when I was riding my bicycle, I felt like I was certainly riding uh, the border line. You know, in which uh, you know I was able to join both, but that was it. But no one really crossed one way or the other. One day. And that was in the summer. And you know in the summer in those little streets in the afternoon. You know, the kids, you know, they're just having a nap. People are at work. The sun is hot. You know and so everything gets goes into this kind of a stillness. And uh, that particular day was a little bit like the 100 days of uh, solitude of markets, you know, very heavy, you know, laughing. Anyway, so, <clears throat> and there was this, um, this fellow, Tony. Tony is, uh, used to be a tailor, so he was always Mr. Class, you know, he moved, you know, his pants, Really was touching just the ground, just the perfect way, wavering, you know. Under each step, it was just beautiful. No matter what, the guys, looked cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he had a, a bit of a sickness later on in his life, so apparently, so unfortunately, they had to amputate one of his legs. But it was quite amazing because he never lost his class, you know. He was just still very much the same, actually he got to have a little electric car, and I never saw, saw him smile so wide when taking the little cars and just like rah, going through, you know, because suddenly his horizon was enlarging. You know, He could go further.
1: Anyway, but he
0: was kind of like uh, the godfather of the street. And he would sit on his chair like this with a cane, and he would look like this, you know, people like that. Uh, waving, you know, and all that. But he had this presence, you know, across the street was another fellow, which uh, also, as old as him, and also working with the king. And of course, it was from the other clan. <laughs> and they would like for years look at each other, you know, <laughs> facing each other in silence, <laughs> not talking. That day I was on my balcony, in which I can see very much widely the whole street. So everything was still, and then suddenly I see this older man, you know, standing up with his cane going down the stairs and going towards Tony. And uh, in one hand he had his cane, the other, he had a little pot with a single flower, you know. And I could see in the back of his pants he had a little shovel. So he crossed, you know, the street. And halfway through, he looked at Tony and pointed out the flower, like this. And Tony looked at him. That was okay. So, very slowly. The old man went to the other side and then stand in front of Tony's front yard, and very uh, it was great difficulty, dug a hole and put the flower right in it and look at Tony. And Tony looked at him. No word. And then the older man walked back to his seat. Man, I was like. Standing there watching this, I had to pinch myself, you know. I was so moved, you know. I said, you know, a scene like this could be so easily missed, you know. But there was so much in it. And I think that's what it is. Simplicity, patience, compassion, those are the, your greatest treasure. A summer story I wanted to share with you. This book <coughs> is a Tao Te Ching, uh, World of Lao Tzu, and I usually uh, read those uh, as in my little group that I have and uh, at home. We sit a couple of days a week. We meet at 6 a.m. and we do some sitting together for a couple of hours. Then uh, (coughs) I usually do a bit of a reading. And uh, just a a few weeks ago, I uh, asked them, uh, I said, you know, uh, maybe uh, you should come up with something, you know. I'd like you to come up with a text, something that really moved you, you know, something like I tell them story, like I tell, just tell you, you know, the thing that we see every day, you know, the thing that moves you. So please bring something with you. And so uh, <clears throat> the week, a week later, so I ask and I say, so uh, did anybody bring anything? And surely enough uh, Peter had brought something and someone else had brought something, you know. And then I asked Lucy, I said, Lucy, did you bring something? And she said, She said, you know, I was going to bring something. Then I read it again. "Eh, It's a little gory, you know, and I don't think it's appropriate. I said, why? I mean, I haven't made any rules, you know, just like something that moves you. And She said, okay. The week after, I say, so Lucy, what you got? (laughs) And Lucy said, oh, I forgot it. (laughs) I say, "Okay, make sure to bring it next time. Next time, Lucy, do you have it? She said, you know, I choose something else. And uh, uh, I decide to bring something else. And I say, oh, really? Well, uh, I don't want the something else. (laughs) I want what you originally wanted to bring over. And I said, "Well, I don't have it, but I can tell you about it." So she did, and it was about this uh, lady. She's a journalist, and uh, she's uh, also a journalist and photographer. And uh, she went uh, to Afghanistan, and uh, this guy—I mean—and put the burqa you know, around her so she could pretty much go on travel. In the midst of like uh, uh, Afghanistan and travel freely, obviously she was, tearing, uh, she was taking a tremendous amounts of risk. You know, if she was getting caught, she was really uh, risking her life. But that's the way she wanted to do it, and so uh, she wrote a book in which she really kind of described in details uh, basically the landscape and all the various challenges people are really confronted under the Taliban rule, but also. Some of uh, uh, really event like uh, at some point uh, she was actually uh, in a market and a bomb exploded, you know, and she was describing, you know, what went on, you know, and it was literally very kind of a, a graphic, and so. But uh, apparently, one of the persons that was re- responsible for that event was actually uh, re- still alive, apparently. And uh, so she, um, <coughs> she was kind of a, like standing by him. And apparently, at that very moment, <laughs> boing, she had this epiphany, you know, in which she was like, remain totally, everything seems to be connected. You know? Everything, she was in total peace in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of that horror. She was just like basically everything seemed to be totally connected. It is an experience of oneness, you know. And uh, an experience in which object and subject, you know, kind of uh, disappear. Total absence of I, you know. Uh, Total absence of kind of uh, opinions and kind of uh, point of views, you know. Just like total connection. An and she was totally overwhelmed by it. You know, to, in the midst of all that chaos, she could have experienced something like that. And so it was uh, it was rather uh, kind of a uh, quite. She was kind of overwhelmed by it. You know, and uh, <clears throat> she decided. Uh, so and but then after kind of she snapped out of it, and then suddenly. Uh, she kind of pulled her burqa in order to see this man, and this man was still alive, and he looked at her, and he, and he said, I will, kill, I will kill you all, you know, something like that. And, uh, and again, you know, she was kind of a totally uh, uh, really puzzled by how she could actually uh, experience one moment of bliss in one second, you know, and the next one, you know, uh, being totally confronted with, uh, with this, you know. So, how do you deal with that? Of course, we don't deal with those things on the daily basics. Uh, thank God, but uh, Lucy's was very kind of a, uh, somehow shaken by this reading and that experience you know and so she developed up this kind of a strong uh, questioning, you know how does one deal with that you know those strong emotion so uh, but um, it is, uh, uh, anyway, so that was definitely uh, uh, something. And uh, she, uh, so we went on uh, to discuss But uh, on the other hand, uh, our practice uh, is moment to moment. And uh, in which, you know, there is no escape. There is no really, uh, we just basically accept things as they are now in a way like uh, we just uh, basically Uh, involve ourselves 100% uh, uh, with them. Anyway, so uh, uh, so uh, anyway, that was the puzzle uh, for uh, her. And uh, there was a excuse me, I just have to have a pause because I wanted to uh, but anyway, what was important is this moment of uh, deep awareness, you know, it's like a the recognition recognition uh, of a moment like this the ability to actually experience a moment like this available to us you know in, in each and every moment right? yeah. you know it's we have those kind of event. Uh, happening to us on regular basis pretty much like uh, every day. You know, like uh, in the Zen stories, when the story the Zen story is called, uh, often there's this punchline. You know, the story goes on and then the punchline and bang, you intend enlightenment, you know, just like that. But uh, on the other hand, uh, we never really hear the next day. You know, the story of the next days when he suddenly got angry about something. Or just like got very jealous about something, or ha- experienced fear, you know, those things happen. State of enlightenment, moments of the deep realization, is not something we can cultivate, you know, uh, uh, basically forever. I mean, by that it's there. It's like I say, a moment of recognition that it is there, that it is available, you know. So yet, uh, when we practice, uh, our as we go deeper into our practice. Uh, we really kind of open up for those type of uh, uh, moment and recognition. Yet, the more we practice, the more frequent they become, you know. That's basically, uh, that's really all there is, you know. And uh, anyway, so uh, that's basically uh, (laughs) what what it is, so it's it's so simple, anyway. (laughs) I think I'm going to leave it to there. And if if there is any question, if anybody wants to share, please uh, do do come forward. Yelcho, good to see you. (laughs) Sorry. Mucho, sorry. I'm losing my memory. Mucho is probably uh, one of uh, the most mature, I mean, the older student. (laughs) Mucho, You go back a long way. Yeah. Huh? You started with the Sunim 81. in 1981, yeah. Uh, and we have uh, cultivated a wonderful uh, Dharma friendship, uh, El Chuana. And uh, you have come to also uh, a city we had some pretty epic retreat together to also <laughs> as well, <laughs> in which we end up in the middle of the wood, no eat, and none of us know how to make a fire. <laughs> so We had wine. Well I don't remember that. <laughs> Maybe you brought that in your bag. <laughs> what happened to Sherry? <laughs> anyway, I wish you all a wonderful summer. And, um, and may those, those moments of recognition uh, fall over you. <laughs> Constantly, you know, beautiful, blossoming. It's so just gorgeous. We had such a beautiful Uh, spring so long because it was so cool so I mean it was overwhelming just like every morning taking my bicycle and just like uh, getting the scent of those flowers and birds and all that. It's just quite something quite overwhelming.